Hello, you are listening to the Plumfield Moms, and this is Plumfield in Person. Hi, I'm Diane Pendergraft, and I'm here with Sarah Masaryk, and today we have with us Library Lady Michelle Howard. Michelle, we are so grateful to have you here today. We have known of you for a very long time. Diane and I have been working with Good, True, and Beautiful Books for almost a decade, and we have always heard your name and your library and libraries, plural. (laughs) (laughs) Last year, when Tanya Arnold and Sarah Kim of BiblioGuides introduced us to Sandy Hall and Sherry Early, Christy Stansfield, Mary Schubert, we already knew Kathleen Seeger and uh, Jeanette Toulis. We had just a wonderful time capturing their library stories and understanding more of the private lending library movement. And all of them kept saying, you have to talk to Michelle. You have to. (laughs) And we said, we agree, but we're in the middle of all these projects with you ladies. (laughs) Let's finish that season up and then let's start this next season really strong by talking to Michelle. So thank you for being here today. Yeah, my pleasure. So Michelle, many of our listeners may not know about you, may not know about your libraries, plural. Where are you located now? Well, actually, right now, um, I'm in South Florida in the West Palm Beach area, and that's where I mostly live now. So my original start was in uh, northern Michigan in the Traverse City in the northern Lower Peninsula. And I do, that library is still functioning. That was the original. And I have an amazing library team there. But I only get back there about once a year. And that tells you how much that volunteer team is doing to keep things flowing there. I do behind the scenes work, but they're the hands-on and the Lord has absolutely provided an incredible team. So most of my time is spent down here in Florida and we've been here for, I don't know, five and a half or six years or so. Wow. Wow. (laughs) Wonderful. And I know we've seen videos of your library tours and we're going to include those in the show notes so that listeners can go and and see what we get to see. We have about uh, maybe 32,000 books here or so in this location. And then the smaller location where we used to be, there's two or three or 4,000, that many also in storage ready to be processed. And then in my Michigan library, we have about 21,000. Wow. Now I'm a youper. Okay. I was born up in here. Calumet on the Keweenaw. Oh, beautiful. I'm from Menominee. Menominee. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> but I went to Hillsdale College. So my son graduated from Hillsdale. No way. What year? Son. He graduated in 2007. Okay. I graduated in 99. Okay. Oh, yeah. Great, great experience. Hillsdale. I mean, it's a great books college, right? I mean, how could it be better than that? Very much so. And in fact, regarding Hillsdale, I contacted them when that when my son was starting ninth grade. And I said Mm -hmm. to the admissions department, my son wants to attend here, but guess what? We do this thing called living books, uh, a literature based Mm -hmm. education. We don't do standard testing. We don't do standard transcripts. Uh, What's it going to take, you know, to get in there? And you know what they said? We wish everybody would do that. They said, don't change a thing. We'll work with you. So they Mm -hmm. laid out a portfolio process, which 
um, of which a major part was his reading list, which was pages and pages and pages and pages long because living books was, you know, 98% of all that we did. Then they had me write paragraphs describing the goals and outcomes of the four major study areas um, over the course of the four years. And then they had him write about um, his views of education, travel and service. And wow. by the time we got there, they said that he was the best prepared student. Sorry, Sarah, and that they'd ever <laughs> had. They must have forgotten about you in that moment. They were just uh, thinking more, more recently. And they asked to keep his portfolio in the admissions office as to show to other families about what can be done when you're going to college on a literature-based approach. Wow. And they told me to go home and have more children to send to their college. <laughs> So that was uh, really an outstanding experience to work with him. He was uh, right in the Honors College, which you probably were also. Actually, there wasn't an Honors College when I was there. Okay. I think that emerged later. Okay. But I went to Oxford, so I was in that track. Incredible. Incredible. I visited Oxford, but that's really amazing. Oxford, where you read for a degree. Correct. Very And I had... I mean, I had a reader's card at the Bodleian Library. Oh, oh so I've been I, inside there. Oh, and you, but you've really so been inside there. Oh, <laughs> thou shalt not covet. Thou shalt not covet. <laughs> well, you know, when we opened up, when we opened up uh, this our little line, lending library here, I was bound and determined to use old school library cards. Mm. So we have the library thing barcodes on the old school library cards <laughs> because. Hey, I, I graduated from a Catholic school. So, okay. you know, all the little Catholic school library with the old yes, cards. Yes. And then at the Bodleian where you'd fill out the slip and you'd give it to them. And two hours later, these books would magically appear from the bowels <laughs> of the library. <laughs> I just wanted that experience for our patrons yeah. because there's something so wonderful and magical about a library like that, I think. That is incredible. <laughs> Thank you. And you know what's crazy? is that I went to Oxford not liking Tolkien and not knowing who Chesterton was. Uh, and your Catholic, right? no less, too, huh? <laughs> and I'm Catholic, no less. Wow. I, I, I was there because I loved Lewis. Mm-hmm. And so when I came home later on, I'm like, how in the world did I think that, like, how did I not make the most of this? Wow, wow. You probably sat in their booth there. At, is it the eagle and oh, the yeah. child? Yeah. Yes, That's yes. Fondly a- called the bird and the babe. But then yeah. also, Lewis and Tolkien used to have a booth at the Lamb and the Flag across oh. the street. Oh, I didn't know I that. Was, we were Keeble students, so Keeble students went to Lamb and the Flag, and so <laughs> we'd go hang out there in the, the super wow. cool Lewis and Tolkien place. Oh, not just where they had to share it with Charles uh, Williams and all those other lowlifes and right. Roger Lansdell and Green. Just the exactly. The okay, got it. I only sat in the other one, so but you know, then I didn't go to Hillsdale or Oxford. So I'm allowed. I was even allowed in the door. Hey, but you have a son who was the best educated <laughs> Hillsdale entrant ever. So there you go. Um, well, the, the literature basis is never an obstacle. I don't think, um, I, I guess I can't say that so categorically because I'm sure there's some schools that wouldn't admit it. But I guess I kind of felt like if the school couldn't respect what we were doing, then I wasn't crazy about them even going there. Now, if somebody needed exactly. a very specific scientific degree or something, I guess that wouldn't apply. But there's a lot of options when you're doing the literature-based approach? Even, I think, a scientific preparation. You know, my grandfather was a very famous pathologist. He has a Mayo Clinic lab named after him. Oh, my. And 
Yeah. So he, he's no, he's no dummy. Yeah. And I remember when we began homeschooling, going to him and saying, what ought I do for my children who are science minded? And he said, Sarah, I graduated from a little Catholic school mm. and I had never had a single science class until my freshman year in high school. Wow. But we chased, we chased wonder all the years. Ooh, gave me goosebumps. Ooh. Right? And so when you think about Jeannie Bendick books or you uh -huh. think about any of those classic vintage uh -huh. um, science readers, the ability to form a scientific mind without doing a prescripted science curriculum, uh -huh. I think you end up with a better product in the long run. There's very oh, yeah. little they can't learn technically uh -huh. when they're ready and want to. And so a literature approach is going to cover a lot of things and render them creative and capable, I think, to I do whatever it is they want to do. Couldn't agree with you more, but the key word that you used there, um, they were all wonderful, but was the phrase chasing wonder. Wonder yeah. is an immaterial quality. And the world yeah. right now, the secular world, cannot deal with the immaterial because they cannot control the immaterial. This is why yeah. living books is off, are off of their radar, precisely because they speak to the immaterial heart of the child and they raise up immaterial qualities. What the yeah. world wants to do is deal only with the cerebrum because that's a controllable feature. They can MRI it. They can X-ray it. They can weigh it. They can mm -hmm. test it. So mankind mm -hmm. imagines, therefore, then that he has control of the process and can, uh, you know, get God to retire. But so <laughs> that, that is exactly what they're doing is cutting out the immaterial in the book, the content, the language, yeah. and even the reader themselves. So you're hundred percent right. right. When we bring the wonder back, which is the whole feature of the living books, then right. the immaterial part of the learner, their, their spiritual soul being is what is captivated and captured. Then the brain becomes active as a tool, however, of the... Right deeper heart. And, you know, the Bible, as Ruth Beechick talks about in her book, A Biblical Psychology of Education, the Bible never mentions the word brain one single time, even though it may huh. be God's most fabulous creation. He does not see us as a cerebrum with, you know, attached appendages. Right. He sees us as an immaterial soul and heart that has mm -hmm. uh, equipment, a mouth, feet, hands, right. organs, including a brain. So it is the world's concept to focus on the cerebrum. And it is a very lower, uh, a much lower counterfeit of the true heart of heart. So the modern mm. books today are only trying to download data into a cerebrum. So they read like mm -hmm. machine code and they're treating the human cerebrum mm -hmm. as if it's just a programmable uh, memory drive. And that is yes. ultimately debasing and, and children will naturally move away from that. There will be a recalcitrance there. And mm -hmm. there will be a mistrust of reading, but it's not that reading is the problem. It's the, it's the machine code that the world yeah. has said is all that the biochemical cerebrum needs. And every single part of that is completely wrong. So right, when you right. touch that heart with wonder, it, you're in a completely different ballpark. I don't, I tell people these living books are not just oh, five or 10% better than your normal book. They are completely other in every way. Wholesale different. Yes. Mm -hmm. Completely. Mm -hmm. yeah. Because most parents today uh, have uh, are so young that they have never ever encountered a living book in their lifetimes. 
The removal right. began in the mid 1960s to early 1970s. So when you tell them good books, they're like they're thinking of only what they grew up with in the 90s. You know, Which and that was, was good books. Exactly. So they can't mm-hmm. imagine why they need to drive somewhere and pay some fee to use books, even if they are, quote unquote, five or 10 or 15 percent better. No, they are completely right. other. That other. I think that's very important to get that across to prospective yeah. families. And that's mm-hmm. why they don't yet know the power and impact that they're going to have on their children. How could they? They've never had any contact with it. So there's a moment of faith um, when, when you know, uh, when they hear the success stories and they begin to realize, oh, I'm tapped into something that I've never even known anything about before. Welcome to this frontier. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And what is so fascinating about this lending library movement is many of us are stocking our libraries with library discards. Mm-hmm. And this this has, yes, this is a good thing for us because we are able to acquire these books. It is a tragic thing for our culture that these books have been banished Mm -hmm. from school libraries and public libraries and even private school libraries and personal homes. I happen to love the Happy Hollisters. I know Mm -hmm. that not everybody would say that they're of the living quality. I think that they are. They're cherished here at both my libraries. Oh, yay. Yes. And, you know, you have a family of five children who solve mysteries with their parents (laughs) in a very wholesome way. Mm -hmm. And they build reading fluency with elegant but accessible language. I think that these are wonderful for that. Mm -hmm. Either that child who is struggling to read or is just learning to read strongly on their own and needs a lot of practice. Or I have a number of patrons who they are, you know, 11-year-olds reading at an 18-year-old level because they Mm -hmm. have read living books, Mm -hmm. but they're not ready for 18-year-old content. And Mm -hmm. so we need to keep them fed with something real, but not something that's going to bruise their soul. And Mm -hmm. so I love the Happy Holidays. So I I was just posting the other day that I, it is one of the happiest shelves in my library, (laughs) and I had ordered three more copies of volume one, Mm. because, you know, the families have to enter Uh at volume one. So I need multiples. And Facebook, of course, was spying on me and said, did you know there are happy Hollisters available for sale in your town? So I reached out to the seller and I brought my library card with me and I I acquired the 14 books from her for $20, you know, a a total steal. Great. And I handed her my card and said, I run a lending library for families, and I want to know if you have more of these kinds of books. And she said, well, wait, and pulled me into her living room and started showing me other things. Well, her husband came in and said, you want those history books? That's back when they actually taught history. Oh, yeah. Exactly right. So you have these people who are in their late 60s Mm. who remember reading these books. Mm -hmm. They know that these books don't exist. They've inherited these from their parents' estate. Mm. Nobody in their family wanted them. So they were discarding them. And so praise God that we got them and that we grabbed some others from them. Yes. I have to repeat that phrase, thou shalt not covet once more again, however. I think that's going to be a repeated theme here. But yes, I am very glad that you could rescue those. Thank you. And yeah. that's what we did. We rescued them. Mm-hmm. And I so I ended up messaging the lady later, thanking her again. And I showed her where the books, I right away, I so they were my first Brodart covering project. Because oh. her dust jackets were 
perfect. Wow. I thought vintage books with perfect dust jackets, those yeah. are getting covered. So I, I had yeah. just ordered in the Broad Art sale. It's my, I'm a brand new librarian. And I'm like, okay, I don't know how to do this, but I'm going to learn. Very so good. I learned, and I took a picture and I showed them to her. Oh. And she said, thank you. I said, these will live on in the lives of mm-hmm. so many young mm-hmm. families because of your generosity. Absolutely. For decades to come. Amen. And then, you know, my, I've already told my children, you know, these books are, you know, even after I pass, find somebody who's still willing to lend them. These need to be yes. lended in perpetuity. Yes. This is not going to stop with me because the need is not going to stop. No. So that's absolutely a, a beautiful story. The American Library Association, back when I was studying some library science in, at university, was um, saying that no nonfiction book should sit on a shelf for more than two years, and you're pushing it for a fiction book at five. That was in the main oh. American Library Association manual. Oh. So if I don't know if they've adjusted that timing, but think about the fact that they're discarding books from June of 2021 already, but that also allows right. them to get their current pop, you know, philosophy. Pop garbage. Yeah. Yeah. In, into mm-hmm. the book. So um, even yeah. then when I was studying that, they were saying that the purpose of, this is the American Library Association manual at the time, was saying that the purpose of a library is, is to provide the taxpayer with that which is current. What's a movie tie-in? What's on the New York Times Top 100? So that since they are already paying taxes in the library, they also don't have to go out and buy the best, you know, Stephen King, you know, hot off the press's book. So no archival mentality at all. No depository. This is, I thought libraries were supposed to be a depository of the great conversation. Just a few days ago, I went to a giveaway, a book giveaway from a, from a school. Mm-hmm. And I asked the woman mm-hmm. who was kind of running it, why are you getting rid of your library? And she said, oh, we're not. This is an annual thing. This is all the discards from the entire district. And I'm looking around and going, you do this every year? You dump this many books. And it's curriculum too. So you know that they're just going on to the next bigger, better looking thing. But, you know, all the good books Every time they do mm-hmm. that, they're gonna there's gonna be fewer and fewer of the old things because they ditched those a oh, long yeah. time ago. But that was a right, ton of right. books. They're, they're just psh, we're done with these. On to the next. Wow. Yeah. I actually had a librarian tell me once when I asked her about purchasing discards. She said, "Oh, we used to sell them, but the taxpayers started getting upset seeing the the percentage, the volume, Diane, like you're saying, that are being discarded." She said, "We now send them to a plant that recycles them for toilet paper." <gasps> Yeah. Oh, so that, well, that's the, all they're good for. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that the taxpayer doesn't see the, the Michigan state librarian association actually asked me to come speak once because, um, <clears throat> I, I don't know quite how to phrase this. I was purchasing discards locally from my Michigan library and, and the right. librarians were generous at that time. We're talking, you know, almost 30 years ago now, but I remember when I was, I purchased a copy of Matchlock Gun, a book with which I'm sure you're both quite familiar. Yes. And the librarian said to me, you actually want to buy that? Um, it was a gentleman. He said, there's no kid that is ever going to read that book because you can just tell by looking at it, how dated it is. He said, I, it, he said, if I were you, I wouldn't even have it in the little library that you're building, or it will be a big turnoff for boys today. That's actually one of the most stirring boy books of, of all course. time. 
Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh. So, so datedness is is was for him a feature. I, I'm hoping he doesn't go, you know, see the Mona Lisa because it's more than two years old. And I yes. hope he doesn't bother, you know, if he's in Athens, I hope he doesn't, you know, climb up the hill to the Acropolis because, you know, it wasn't just, you know, created a week ago. Right. So I don't know what the right. value is there. If, in other words, if we're going to follow that line of reasoning. Right. But in my opinion, there's a Darwinian element to this too. That that mm-hmm. which is evolving is somehow better than that better. which is before. Of course, right. as we know, God's principles are 100% the opposite. Whatever is good right. and true and beautiful, to quote your phrases, Philippians 4, 8, is always going to be good and true and beautiful. And right. while Darwinism talks about change as being the key force of the universe, God says that it's his changelessness that is the key element of this entire cosmos. Amen. So the, the spiritual roots, again, these books are not, as I said earlier, just you know 10% better. They are completely other and in so many different ways. It takes years to even unpack the fullness of that. So the Michigan State Librarians Convention actually asked me to come speak because they were hearing from the local librarians. I was buying the discards. And when the person contacted me, she said, um, Lansing is the state capital of Michigan. She said, Lansing has already decided that these books are not of value. Do you basically have a right then to purchase them (gasps) you're going to go you're going to disagree with our state capital and say that these books have value So, um, you know, somebody has drunk deeply of the authoritarian Kool-Aid. So she said, come defend your actions. Come tell the librarians why you feel you should offer what we say is no longer of value. So it was kind of a combative invitation. That same person may not be working there. So I was a little nervous going in, you know, kind of felt like a Daniel in the lion's den. Not that I'm a Daniel or whatever. But so I went in there and I started explaining the, the depth of what's unique about these books, which is what I do right. every time a new family comes into the library so they can understand the profound vision of what they're tapping into. And instead of hostility, I was shocked. Tears started coming down faces around oh, the room. Because it had been a while since anybody had loved books the way you did. Yeah. And, and presumably why they got into this to start with, right? A hundred percent. That's literally what they, they thronged up afterwards, not, not to me, but to the concept of the books. And they said just that, Sarah, that's actually the reason we became librarians because we right. had had those experiences with those books when we were little. Right. We wanted right. to share that with succeeding generations. And they said, even when the lists come down from on high and we're sitting there marking discard, they said, something doesn't ever feel quite right. But, you know, who are we to question, you know, the <laughs> that big Capitol building? And they yeah. said, they're gone now. They said, they're all gone. Mm-hmm. They're right. all gone. They said, thank goodness that somebody has thought to rescue them before they're completely obliterated. So that was very much an unexpected change there. So according to like the American Library Association, then there's no such thing as a classic. In essence, yes. I mean, I don't know what their verbiage would be because they probably do have Treasure Island sitting there, but it would be a very limited classic. And I think it would be basically only in the area of fiction. I think at our library, the only reason some of those like Treasure Island and you can get a little, you know, little house books, maybe, I think mm-hmm. the only reason they're still there is because for some reason, people keep asking for them. So they have mm-hmm. to keep mm-hmm. them, but mm-hmm. there aren't very many. Yeah. It's just rows and rows of fantasy series. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. really hard to find any of that. Yeah. 
I agree. Just the concept of classic, I think, would chafe at them because it would be a sense of that that there was value before. No, we're remaking the world, don't you know? Mm-hmm. Did you get right. the memo? Mm-hmm. It's, you know, change. It's all about change. And so that whole concept of classic, of course, I hope you know I'm being sarcastic. I agree with you 100%. Yeah, I'm talking (laughs) about this whole mindset. The incoming president of the American Library Association, her name is Emily Drabinsk, but I actually looked at her campaign platform because she, you know, had to campaign to be elected as the ALA chief. First of all, she's a self-avowed Marxist lesbian and her platform had four main planks. Um, that I could see, because I I didn't read every word, but to summarize, it was, we're going to finally end white supremacy under her leadership. We're going to put an end to class warfare. We're finally going to get serious about climate change. And we're really going to convince this culture that gender, quote unquote, fluidity is a real thing. Okay. Yeah. And and I I don't even like to use their term, but I'm kind of talking about her platform. Right. The, The methodology that she described, and I believe this is a direct quote, although I'm going from memory, was that she is going to turn every local library in the United States into a, I'm quoting now, political mobilization center for the worker class. This is all going to be at taxpayer expense. She's planning on using the mandated taxes of the people of this nation in order to raise up a, a group that will then attempt to overthrow the very country that she's taxing. And the overarching uh, theme of her website also was that all the libraries of the globe need to have a single message. Oh, probably with a prescribed curriculum and we can own in one unified book list. It's one world order and it's not going to be God's. You know why the Lord is calling us to do this. I didn't even understand what the Lord was calling me to do when this first began. Again, I was, I was born in 1960. And so when I went to, uh, you know, the public library, you know, rode my little bike down there because it was safe to pop around my town on my bike. Safe to do that. Yep. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the books were good and wholesome and they were, they were, echoing, you know, the basic Judeo-Christian values of the nation generally. So by the time I was having my own children in the early 80s, I noticed already that I felt like I had to preview every book. Okay, that was in the early 80s. That's 40 some years ago. And I felt like I had to preview. Yes. And in just such a very, very, very short time. And so Mm -hmm. um, I was flat broke, uh, young married, uh, but had a then friend who took me around a lot of yard sales and all I could afford was basically, and all that I was attracted to was these boxes they would always have at the end of the driveway where, you know, either free or 10 cents a book or whatever. So I started looking through there and, oh, that one looks good. That one looks good. Well, I began to take these home and I noticed that my kids were talking about and excited about and reenacting, you know, dressing up as and going outside to play whatever they were (laughs) reading in these books. Well, they were just like the ones that I had had when I was a kid. And I began to notice the impact. So I just um, assumed that that was kind of what was still in the library. But the books started coming by the hundreds and then a thousand and then 2000 and then 3000. And, and pretty soon I was about at the four or 5,000 mark, Sarah, where you began, but I didn't have a library yet, but I had an 877 square foot house (laughs) that had that many books in boxes. So all I need to do was to put them in my laundry room. They were stacked all the way to the ceiling. 
And oh I couldn't actually open my dryer door all the way. And I had to <laughs> just to get the boxes in my life. I had to just barely open the door. And I could just barely get one hand between, you know, in the door and the dryer. And I had to try to reach around in oh. there to get all the clothes. And so somebody said, you should start a library. And I said, that is the dumbest thing I have ever heard in my entire life. I mean, our community has, you know, libraries everywhere. Why would anybody right. drive past these beautiful buildings and, right. and come to my little laundry room and get booked? <laughs> so, but they kept coming and they kept coming and I could feel that the Lord was doing something, but I didn't yet know what it was. Mm -hmm. um, I, mm -hmm. I, I know I just said that I had to preview, but I didn't realize the wholesale change to use your phrase earlier, Sarah. Right. I was not fully right. awakened to that. But in this process of them coming to me, um, in, in just tidal waves that were beyond my own volition. So that, as I'm saying, it was so clear that the Lord was sending them to me like the quail, you know, three feet deep and you could walk yes. a, a day's direction. And, you know, like I'm throwing book quail out of my nose as, as the Old Testament says, why are they coming? And, um, and so I was learning about them. And then um, someone, I visited someone downstate and they said, hey, we want to study ancient Rome. And mm -hmm. you kind of seen the, again, didn't even have an open library yet, but I'd seen them coming through. You have kind of seen the best books about ancient Rome. Please help mm -hmm. me go find them. So we went down to their library. It was it was like a miniature Capitol building. I mean, a huge rotunda, mm -hmm. marble mm -hmm. floors, columns, wings, mm -hmm. space, staff. You know, there, right. was, there was, you know, and the books weren't in cardboard boxes in a laundry room. And so I'm, oh, this is going to be sweet. You know, guess what? There was not one worthy book about ancient Rome oh. in that entire building, nor we got on the computer in their entire county branch. And I stood oh. on the, that rotunda and it hit me. It was like electricity just zapped me from heaven. It went down to my feet and back up again. They're not mm -hmm. there. The good books are not there. I'm like, oh. Lord, I mean, You're literally, right. I'm talking to the Lord. Oh, Lord, right. I see now why you sent these to me. Mm -hmm. Oh, my goodness. Mm -hmm. Before I mm -hmm. even knew that there right. was this wholesale change, you were already providing them for me. We have right. to open a library. That's exactly the thing to do. So, this is like Joseph of the Old Testament. You were appointed for such a time and you had stored up the treasury. Uh, yeah, without even, but yeah, without, without even, even actually knowing. knowing. It, right. it, it took me time to begin to understand the difference in the books. And now, mm -hmm. as I mentioned, when people come to my library for the first time, I always try to sit them down on the couch here and spend a good 15 or 20 minutes really taking them through the difference, the spiritual roots of the differences, et cetera. Yeah. So that, yes. and their eyes are then open. And you know what I usually hear? I sensed that something was different, but I couldn't quite verbalize put my finger it. on it. Yeah, couldn't yeah. put my finger on it. Yeah. And, and they're like, mm -hmm. you just gave voice. This means that it was from the Lord. You just gave voice to everything I've been, you know, feeling. Mm -hmm. And and so usually they say, my kids don't like to read. I'm like, well, of course they don't right. want to read that, which is not actually reading. It's right? not actually right. language in modern books. As I said, it's machine code. And mm -hmm. there's an implied mm -hmm. passivity. Sit right. down, shut up, and memorize what we told Take you. Take it in. 
front cover, yeah, is mm -hmm. going to be your lot mm -hmm. to memorize. Mm -hmm. And so I always start with sample books that show the new way and the old way. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I do that in science and then I do that in history. And mm -hmm. then I do explain that, um, that uh, I was asked to do some research by an institution and I went to one of the local public libraries and about, about uh, I would say two thirds of all the youth biographies at a current local, uh, uh, current local library were of sports stars. Mm -hmm. two thirds, mm -hmm. that would be my estimate. Mm -hmm. Now imagine being mm -hmm. a nine-year-old boy standing in, in that youth section. What is your community tacitly telling you is important? Of that you just need to go into sports. Yeah. You need to be yeah. a doctor, a scientist or an athlete. Those are your choices. <laughs> and I'm, I didn't even see any doctor or scientist books unless we're counting oh. Greta Thunberg as a scientist. Cause they were, oh, okay. her. yeah, yeah. So she, 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 she made, she made the, and so of that remaining one third, at least down here, I would say that 95% of those were either movie stars or music stars. So you put that into a compound and what you have is over 90% of all the youth biography section was entertainers, whether in sport, music, or film. And this right. is at an age when every kid thinks that, Hey, I'm a kid. So my right, my role, my childhood entity, it was being on some device playing, you know, Right. But we're trying to fight that as parents. No, there's a purpose for your life other than entertainment. But if they yes. walk in and all they see is books about entertainers, there was right. not a single book about Patrick Henry in the child section or the adult section. Give me liberty or give me death. But right where the yeah. Patrick Henry books were should have been sitting, there were books about Jim Henson and the Muppets entertainment. No, nobody hates Kermit the Frog, but I don't think that Patrick Henry should be snubbed. And we are not going to be able to build a civilization on green felt frog Muppets. No, exactly. Okay. And when you compare to the, the series that are being thrown away like trash, when we look at Landmark or Messner or Signature or Childhood mm -hmm. of Famous Americans, these living, vibrant stories of real people mm -hmm. who've done real things, mm -hmm. to see these gone is devastating. It's devastating, like you say, that our children will have no perspective on what their options are or what it is to live vocationally rather than chasing what they think they want to be because that's what their interest is. You know, they've only ever played basketball 10 months of the year. So therefore they think they should be a coach if they can't make it as a player. <laughs> Instead of thinking that perhaps God has called them to do some very meaningful work. And they're not going to know what that looks like unless they're reading these biographies mm -hmm. of men and women who've toiled and done self-sacrificial things in the name of vocation. Mm -hmm. We don't have that perspective. Vocation isn't even a word now. It's a Right, and word. being able to well, do things is not respected. Those books are saying don't do things, right. buy things. Because, buy right, there, Kermit the Frog originally was not harmful, but the industry surrounding that that says mm -hmm. buy things that have him on it is training mm -hmm. them to be consumers instead of doers. Yeah. And I would say like an exception, the childhood of famous Americans, the Vince Lombardi book. Now I'm from Green Bay, Wisconsin. Oh. So Vince Lombardi is king, right? Oh yeah. But he was a man of faith mm -hmm. who genuinely strove to do right mm -hmm. and to honor his vocation and to raise up men mm -hmm. who happened to play football for a time, mm -hmm. but who would be taking the skills they learned on the football field and applying them to meaningful work when they were retired. Oh yeah. And but that that would that would be the the one childhood of fame. I mean, and I know there's a there's a Babe Ruth, and there's some other yeah. sports books, yeah. but they're few and far between. Yeah, no, I agree, and I don't mean that we shouldn't have any athletes right, at of all. Of course, 
In fact, of course, they, you're saying the the balance is yes, off. yeah. It's just the cultural message that this is the only important thing right now is to either right. be entertained or to become one of the entertainers. That that's only right. the only pathway to greatness. In actual fact, uh, yeah, the ice bowl up in Green Bay, the the yeah. fortitude that was necessary. Uh, the strength right. um, is is very significant, and I, I definitely have those in my library as well. Um, yeah. it, I think that a, a newer book is going to ask you to download data about something, and in an older right. living book, you're going to see how someone becomes someone. Education right. is actually about becoming, and becoming. so in, and mm-hmm. so Vince Lombardi had to become some. You know, he had to start out as a boy, and and he had to be teachable, and that's and usually. If you ask kids what they remember about the Vince Lombardi book, it's not it's not the Packers. Mm. They remember that he was an altar server who spent Mm. time with good men. They remember Mm -hmm. the stories of his family and the grocery store he worked at. That's what they remember. Oh, yeah. And by the way, he became, you know, championship winning football coach. Yeah. Super Bowl one and two. But what you just described, Sarah, is exactly the process of becoming. Right. Exactly, And that's what children want to know about is how do I become someone? And when they see someone do that, go through hard things, be test, have their metal tested, uh, overcome and become teachable in the older biographies. One of the first things you'll see is how the young person is respecting adults who are then Mm -hmm. are giving that young person the gift of saying there are truths. There are principles by which the universe runs. And if you resonate with those, you will be blessed. In modern books, even 15 years ago, the message is completely different. The parents are always peripheral, broken, Mm -hmm. chaotic or something out of the picture. And I don't just mean the boxcar children being uh, left orphans. I don't mean that. I mean, you know, they're, they're Percy Jackson. Yeah. Totally dysfunctional relationships. Right. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So now we have the child who is going to receive no input of pre-existing truth whatsoever. And instead they are going to find their own truth. What is their true truth. for them? As yes. if there isn't truth. Yes. Already. Yes. Relative truth. Yes. Right. But that was already 15 years ago. That was just like right. your emotional and psychological truth. And now it's the truth about what gender you think you are. That's right. that policy grown up. So or it, whether or not you're a furry. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so it gets more and more outrageously ridiculous, doesn't it? I mean, the it wisdom does. of men is just ludicrous compared to the wisdom <laughs> of God. So it, it, you know, sometimes parents will say, well, I don't think the books that I'm having are so bad because, you know, they're still boys and girls and et cetera. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, but who is the source of truth in the book? Oh, so, and, and how, what would that look like growing up? So there's, right. there's books that are bad. Okay, people understand that. And then there's books that seem neutral, but are they really? But even if they right. were neutral, it takes the place of that which is truly good. Exactly. We only have finite time. And we we worry about, I, I would say today we don't worry as much as we should, but we used to worry about who our kids would hang out with. Mm. And it, who are they hanging out with? in their minds, mm-hmm. not just in their persons, right? Yep. So when we have, like, when I was figuring out where to put my money in building this library and what to rescue first, I decided that as much as I want the science books the most, and I will definitely rescue them whenever I can, mm-hmm. the thing, the rabbit I am chasing is the biographies mm-hmm. because I think these are the things, these are the people we want influencing our children. 
the actual people we want our children hanging out with, Mm -hmm. learning from, and figuring out how they might fit in the world with those people. Mm -hmm. When we have our kids reading Keeper of the Lost Cities, and it just goes on and on and on with dysfunctional relationships and magical fantasy that's not even grounded in anything. Like It's not like the Lord of the Rings, or at least Mm -hmm. it's grounded in this deeper magic, Mm -hmm. this deeper story. This is what's taking up their mind and their space. And they're they're not reading, they're consuming. And so what have we taught them? That the things that they should be doing are just throwaway things? The people they should be hanging out with are throwaway characters in a series that's addictive and not satisfying and not edifying? That's that's a that's a very, very, very good way to put it. And I think there's another element to it as well, is that you can become uh, you know, the Frodo was just your average hobbit. Yes. But he could make choices that mm-hmm. could help him to do things that would liberate, you know, an entire civilization from evil. But when right. you have a superhero, if you can't throw spider webs out of your hands or if you can't, you know, then <laughs> there's no hope. You know, you can't right. become right. that. So if you have to have these literal superpowers, well, then you might as well be entertained because you can never do anything great yourself. I think that's right. one of the biggest tragedies with the right. superheroes is every kid reading is like, well, you know, I, I, I don't really have x-ray vision. I can't really right. fly like Superman. So I guess right. I'm never really going to actually do anything meaningful with my life. But now what we're doing right. is changing the language for them. Because you hear teachers and other adults who are in charge of children telling them, well, your superpower is kindness. Uh, or So they're naming mm. superpowers that, oh, well, you're right. Now you're noticing that you don't actually have any. So we're going to call the virtues superpowers. Mm-hmm. That's a very that's- interesting comment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Because yeah, the real the real superpower is the Lord Himself, and it's when we Amen. get in harness with Him, and that's I feel I feel like most kids walking in the door want the fantasy books. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, that's where they begin, and I I think it actually uh, it's just my theory. I think it shows a hunger to be connected to great spiritual power. Amen. But I agree. That's really only mm-hmm. our King of Kings, mm-hmm. and and He really does want knights errant. And, and really, the yes. of education is to prepare for that great, you know, crusade. I, I don't mean in the uh, the no, but the hero ages. This, yeah, quest would yeah. be yes, a better word. You're, literally, the purpose of education is not to double underline adjectives; it's to no. be prepared for your individual quest. And that's right. why what they feed on deeply needs to be questifying. Yes. And And they're craving the fantasy because they never had proper fairy tales. And so they're hungry for the fairy tales that they should have had. And they've been taught that reading other books is unsatisfying. But if you can get them to read the these real hero stories, like when you read combat nurses of World War II or medical corps heroes, you just you see that that is actual heroism Mm -hmm. and it's absolutely irresistible you can't put those books down my son had all kinds of ideas about what he wanted to be but since reading john tolan's um flying tigers Mm. he's just fixated now on being a fighter pilot wow and see these again are real people right just people plucked up out of kentucky or you know or utah and they were put into a horrific situation and just character and commitment 
yes. allow them to do epic things. And this is doable. And this yes. is what our kids need to understand is that I can be called upon to do great things. And I'm going to commit myself to preparing for that. And that gives insane amounts of purpose to their daily um, educational yes. process. And I think without yes. that purpose, without vision casting, um, you know, we, Again, we, we perish for lack of a vision to paraphrase that verse. So these books give vision. They And so, yes. um, yeah, they give hope that I can indeed make a difference with my life, even if I can't wear my underpants on the outside and have a red cape, you know, and gold boots. And, right, mm-hmm. right. So many moms have come to us over the years because one of the things we do is we write about education and we try to encourage the moms that... Uh, very much like you've said about literature-based education, you don't need fancy schmancy curriculum. You don't need a whole bunch of checklists. What you really need to do is make good use of a good library Mm -hmm. and work your way through excellent books and you will find a whole world of education contained therein. Yes, yes. And these moms consistently come to me so and to Diane as well in her community, so concerned. I have I have a nine-year-old and I have a seven-year-old and I'm just not sure what curriculum to use next year because of this, 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 this. And I'm like, wait, stop. What is the objective? Well, I mean, don't I have to, like, if I'm going to do it Charlotte Mason's way, I have to do this. And if I'm going to do classical, I have to do that. I'm like, stop. What has God called those children to? Mm-hmm. Now, how do you prepare them for that? And they're like, mm-hmm. well, that just seems too simple. <laughs> But that's what it is. Simple. Every single one of these educational philosophies are valuable tools in a toolbox, but they are not the religion. God himself is truth and wisdom, and he allows us to have these tools to mine that truth and wisdom. But really, he's in the driver's seat. So let the Holy Spirit drive mm-hmm. and use what's helpful to you. Mm-hmm. I couldn't agree more. In fact, that's a, another whole phase of my work. And so don't get me started on that or we'll be here for seven <laughs> hours and it won't even relate to library. It'll relate to education, but the two are very closely linked. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. I do have a library question though, before we run out mm. of time, you were talking about one library having 21,000 books and another one having 30. Mm-hmm. Um, you didn't start with that many. So I, I guess my question is for the people just starting out and moms looking around and going, I don't have enough books for a library. Mm-hmm. How long did it take you to get there, first of all? Wow. Yeah. Um, there's actually, between the two locations here in Florida, there's 36,000 altogether here and, and we swap back and forth. Um, I, I would say that I averaged about 3,000 new books per year. And they just keep coming and you put Mm -hmm. out the word that you're looking for them, that you will rescue them. Uh, Mm -hmm. I did build relationships originally with the librarians in my local area. When I Mm -hmm. first began, um, our local librarian said, you know, they have huge discard sales at the big cities downstate. And so I went down there and talked to those librarians and I said, oh, my goodness, we've been hauling the same books out for the biannual book sale for decades. want to just buy them. I'm like, oh yeah. Yes. Or the internet though. So, so we, we we literally on one of our trips, um, to a big city downstate, um, the woman said she took me to like a warehouse where they kept their discards and she said, go ahead and buy 500. So I, okay. Woo. Awesome. I, and then she said, when you're done, come back and get me. So I did. She said, oh, didn't even look like you took any, take another 500, come get (sighs) me. 
So when oh. that was done, she said, it still doesn't look like you even made a dent in it. Take another 500. So we bought 1,500 oh. books that one day. But we had a four and a half hour van ride and we had no other vehicle because we didn't know we were going to have that many. So we packed the books loose around our bodies in the car all oh. the way up to our necks and <gasps> to our shoulders. And so oh. it just looked like, you know, heads sticking up and they were up yeah. beside us. And <laughs> my two sons sat in the backseat of that van for four and a half hours. They did really great until about an hour out. And then they were just like, how much longer? How much longer? <laughs> and, 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 you know, when we pulled over, somebody else had to get out and open the door and hold the books back, you know, and, you know so they didn't crash out and, and, and pull them out until the boys could get out. I thank those boys so, so, so much, you know, for what they went through the claustrophobia. And, and then other times when we would take trips, we would often like pull a trailer or whatever, and we would stop at bookstores and, you know, antique stores, whatever, the whole way. And so we get to this border crossing in Canada once and, you know, the, the board border guard just says, mm -hmm. uh, leans over, you know, in the window, what's in the trailer? You know, he's asked this a million times. And my son leans all the way up from the back seat. You know, there's two adults in the front seat, but he leans all the way up from the back seat. And he says to the man, books, believe me, books, 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 what's in the trailer? And the border guard just looked at him. He said, you know what, kid? I believe you. Go on through. So we were the only trailer that didn't have to pull over and get searched. And put them in the freezer to try to, uh, if they were musty, I now put yeah. them on the dehumidifier. I have found that works so well to put them oh. on the, the effluent. The air coming out of a dehumidifier is extremely dry and yes. warm. And it, it's the best uh, demustifying trick I've ever had. But I didn't know at the time, so they were in the freezer. So uh, one son, one day my oldest son was, you know, going to the freezer to get out some frozen healthy burrito or something and out cascades <laughs> the musty books. And he said, Mom, I could take it when they were, you know, all over the dining room table and the kitchen counter and, and the hallway and the stairs. But when I can't even get a burrito without getting a book, I, I can't take it, Mom. And so we still laugh about, about the, you know, the the books even in the freezer. So it really yeah. has become a, uh, it's just, I don't know. It's, it's like the whole focus of my life at this point, you know, my children are grown mm -hmm. and gone now. And so, yes, it's a building, but the Lord provides books in ways that stun me. In fact, as you know, I'm late mm -hmm. even getting here today because the Lord's in the process of providing a couple more thousand books for us today. And, and bookshelves. Yeah, and bookshelves, good bookshelves, <laughs> wooden bookshelves. That's and awesome. So they just keep coming. And so I remember when I first started, I'm generally the budget, 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 budget person. You know, don't mm -hmm. spend unless you have it. Right. Uh, but it, somehow I felt so driven and so yeah. it, it's so compelled by the Lord to purchase that I know this is going to sound backwards, but the Lord would like provide an opportunity to purchase and it'd be like, I literally don't have the money. And he'd say, right. Did I call you to this or did I not? Will I provide mm -hmm. or will I not? And so generally, mm -hmm. I think the Lord's principle is not to spend until you have it. But it was like he was right. pushing me into a faith walk. And I would yeah. say, you have, you will. 
okay. And so I would go ahead and make the purchase and just miracle after miracle after miracle, that money would come in an envelope or somebody would slip mm-hmm. me something and it would be almost the exact dollar amount. So yeah, I don't propose mm-hmm. running your whole life that way, but I think the Lord needed right. to teach me something about how involved he was going to be and not to mm-hmm. just, in other words, do what seemed comfortable at the moment, but go ahead and stretch myself that right. this that there was more at stake here even than I could realize. And so he was yeah. going to pull oh. on me deeper into this. Does that make any sense? It totally does. Because I'm in a similar position where I wasn't, I mean, I'm very careful with money. And I would have started this years ago, except that books are expensive. And we had so many other things. And we have the house that we have now has a lot of issues. We didn't know that. It's a very complicated story. But the long story short is that in this house, at the you walk in the front door and there are steps into the basement and it's open steps. Like it's a finished basement. It's really warm. It doesn't feel like a basement. Mm-hmm. So the front door goes straight into the basement, right down the stairs. And there is this massive room that's good for nothing. <laughs> if you do anything in that room, it's too loud upstairs or, or vice versa. And we had four little Billy bookcases from Ikea that uh-huh. we brought from our other house. And we have bookcases in every bedroom, right? Like we've got, <laughs> we have a lot of books. Yes. And I just kept thinking, shelves, mm. I need more shelves. And my husband kept teasing me and all these trips to Ikea. He's like, ah. you know, like at what point are we going to get paid to have all these shelves, right? <laughs> Never thinking I was having a library. Mm. It wasn't until these women who ha- many of whom have libraries today because you suggested to them that they should have libraries because they heard you speak at a conference or a talk or something and they heard you say it. They kept saying, so when are you having a library, Sarah? And I'm like, I'm not. I'm not having a library. I mean, maybe when my kids are gone. I mean, I've, got, I've got two in high school and one in middle school. I'm, that's not what we're doing right now. And then a sweet little friend came to me in, at Christmas time and she was she was just distraught. She said, I need your help. I have had it with the public library. And she went through a particular story that's chilling. And she said, I'm done. She said, I will pay anything. I will go to any lengths to build a library, but I don't know what to buy. Wow. And I said, friend, I think you just, I think the Lord just spoke through you. I've been sort of sitting on something and feeling the Lord teasing it and resisting it just come over and check them out. Come be my guinea pig. And she's like, no, 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 no. I want to build my own library. And I said, I hear you. Come preview them at my library. Well, she has since gone on and recruited half of the patrons into my library. Wow. And I've been praying and praying and I can feel the Lord pressing into me. Yes. This is not a normal thing. (laughs) I am calling you to walk out in faith. Yes. Yes. That is a great story. And I echo that exactly. So in other words, don't have fear. Don't measure your potential move into this world on your own resources, financially, emotionally, you know, in any way. This is you, you, you just said it very well, Sarah, this is something completely other. Let's use the word again, because yes, if the yes. books are other, so is this calling. And I'm, I, I, I'm getting goosebumps just remembering it. The Lord has shown up in such profound ways. I thought, I, I mean, I don't know quite how to put it into words, but he has shown me that he cares about this a million times more than I ever would have imagined. And that tells us something that tells us that the impact 
on the students' hearts is so much greater than we can even fathom that he's willing to provide dramatically to call us to do exactly the types of experiences that you just described. So, you know, I... Has it been time consuming? Yes. Have I ever deposited a single cent into a personal checking account from this? Never. Um, We run these at a loss. Yeah. Yeah. In which case you need to make sure though, like, right. We want to say, walk out in faith, trust the Lord, but also don't be irresponsible. Don't get yourself into debt. Yeah. That's wisdom. I just feel that the Lord has shown me that outcomes are greater than I imagined, but so too are the inherent rewards greater than I had ever imagined as well. Yeah. So yeah. he finds other ways and the, con- the connections and so forth. Well, Michelle, we're going to have a lot more podcasts about the library. That's the direction our podcast is going is in supporting this because we think all the work we've done to support the true, good and beautiful books they just, it's too hard to find the books if we don't support the libraries. So we are really shifting Plumfield Moms energy into how to support the libraries and encourage new libraries. But I really feel that vision is one of the biggest things that is needed. Vision mm-hmm. is what keeps you going. So mm-hmm. we can focus on the minutiae, but God mm-hmm. is the big picture. Has he called you to this? Again, if so, he will make a way and remember Mm -hmm. why you're doing it. I often say to the library teams, you know, when your child's coming in through the door, one of your patron children, just think of that moment as like a snapshot in your mind. Think of that door frame as kind of a portrait frame and take a a snapshot in your mind. If this is a little seven-year-old boy or 11-year-old girl or whatever, or 16-year-old girl, they're going to grow up and have a profound impact on the world. And we have the privilege of feeding into that, of investing into that. Let's remember the vision for why we're doing this. And I I have Mm -hmm. found that to be very sustaining. Mm -hmm. Yes. Oh, that's beautiful. Beautiful advice. Because that's really it, right? If if every time that child walks through the door, we just ask the Holy Spirit, how can I assist Mm -hmm. this child Mm -hmm. right here, right now? Mm Mm-hmm. Only God knows how, what the cumulative effect of that is. Mm -hmm. Very much so. I feel very blessed to have been called to this. I thought I was going to be a doctor. That was my plan when I was young. uh, Ha ha. (laughs) And this is not what I thought I was going to be doing with my life at all. Um, And it, but I can't imagine doing anything that I enjoy more than this. So the Lord knows what he's doing when he calls you and the embedded rewards are unfathomably be larger than any challenges along the way. It is worth it. Yay. Michelle, just thank you so much for carving out the time to spend with us today in your busy, busy life. It's been great and, and enlightening and encouraging all of those things. Good. My pleasure. May God be praised and may he strengthen each one on this epic, epic, epic journey. Amen. You know, Michelle, so many moms come to us feeling very, very discouraged about the world and feeling that in their small role, in their small home, with their small family, and I don't use that word as if it is actually small because Mm -hmm. it's not, Mm -hmm. um, they feel like there's so little they can do and that the world is dark and, and nipping at their heels. And I just think about how these libraries, supporting one, joining one, Mm -hmm. having one. Mm -hmm. This is a very meaningful way we can push back against that darkness. Very much. This is a very meaningful way that we can touch the lives of young souls and nurture them 
and let the Holy Spirit speak to them through the good and living mm-hmm. books. Mm-hmm. And I think that people are always building libraries everywhere because it's it's what people do. But I think that you are very clearly the pioneer of a movement that is just really starting to gain steam. I think there have been a lot of them for a while, but we can see that the explosive growth is just around the corner. And so we thank you profoundly for the great legacy that you have led and all of the all of the librarians you have mentored and nurtured over the years and the way that they're reaching out and nurturing and mentoring other future librarians. God bless you for what you've done and continue to do. We really thank you. Oh, that's lovely of you to say. Again, I didn't even know what he was starting, so he gets all the credit, but it's been my joy. Thank you so much. It's great to see the younger generation come on. God bless you and to God be the glory. Thank you. Friends, we love that you were here today listening in. If you want to know more about Michelle and her libraries and the work that she has done, check out the show notes. We're going to have lots of links for you there. And if the Lord is pressing on your heart the desire to start a library, we encourage you to check out the card catalog, which is also hosted on our website, so it's pretty easy to find. Um, And go ahead and look at Michelle's story there and the stories of other librarians and a whole bunch of frequently asked questions. But most of all, friends, we ask you to, to pray for all of us and to pray for your own ministry because all of us together can do a great thing for the Lord and glorify Him. So thanks for listening, friends, and until next time.